But I am excited this morning to be together, and over the next two weeks, we're going to spend time in a conversation that I'm entitling simply, Waiting for When. Waiting for When. Now, I don't know about you, but there are those times and those seasons of life where it seems like we find ourselves just waiting. Just waiting. Just hoping for the right things to happen, hoping for doors to open, hoping for opportunities to come across our path. And, and, and sometimes we find ourselves just uttering the word someday. Someday this will happen in my life. Someday the door will open. Someday the right person's going to come along and wedding bells will chime. Someday. And the idea of, of, of someday can, can often create images of unrealistic expectations. Expectations that should bring us happiness in life, but all too often leave us disappointed, leave us frustrated. Have you ever said, someday I will blank? Someday I'll start working out. Someday I'll, I'll start eating right. Someday I'll you know, clean up this mess. Someday, someday. And we can do that all throughout life. And someday ends up becoming never. Maybe it's a dream or a goal that you've envisioned, a, a good goal, you know, something that, 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 that is, should be a priority in life. Or, or maybe it's something that you know should come in time or something you should do soon. But you find yourself saying, someday. You may find yourself waiting for the perfect time to, to go back to church. You, you may be waiting for the perfect time to call that, that relative, that lost relative. Or just to get right with God and really truly surrender your life completely to Him. See, someday can be a, a magical sounding time in the future for many of us. It's just like, oh, someday we're going to travel. Someday we'll go do this. We'll go see that place that we've always wanted to go to. Psychologists actually have a, a name for this syndrome, for the moments where we say or think, when this happens, I'll be happy. When this occurs. It's called the I'll be happy when syndrome. Doesn't sound like an actual thing, right? It is. The I'll be happy when syndrome. It's the belief that we'll obtain happiness when something specific happens or when we do something of value. I'll be happy when. And Michelle Darasa in her book, Why Repeatedly Saying I'll Be Happy When, could be holding you back in life and your career, says this. The first sign is determining whether you're living a checklist-based life life if you think back to when you were a teenager yes you went to school but you also did other activities and had fun seems the older we get the more we seem to push the fun things out to crowd our lives with what's on our to-do lists have you ever noticed that that we just crowd our lives up with to-dos and tasks and all these things that we've got to get done. And all too often, we lose sight of what God may be wanting to do. The interaction or the opportunity He might be setting before us. 
I'll tell you this much for sure. We've forgotten what Sabbath is. See, we tend to think that Sabbath is, you know, that day on Sunday, on Sunday, day of the week on Sunday where we come together and we do church. And that's not at all the scriptural interpretation of Sabbath. Sabbath is quite literally that time that we set aside to rest. Where we push all the tasks, all the, the to-do lists aside. And we just spend time in the presence of God and people resting. And we wonder why our world is where it is. We wonder why people are so frazzled, struggling with anxiety, struggling with depression, struggling with mental illness at every angle because there's no margin. There's no space. We're always chasing, always pursuing. And as we take time to look at the stories of Jesus' disciples and and, and the Apostle Paul over the next couple weeks, we will see that God helps us even in our striving to be happy. Giving us what we need instead of what we want and providing contentment and strength no matter what the situation is. See, God should be our source of strength and hope. God should be our source of purpose. But we fill it with so many things. Have you ever found yourself at that place where you are desiring something and you get a little bit ahead of yourself or you're you're doing something, you're you're working on a project and you kind of get a little ahead of yourself? Maybe in in your excitement to accomplish a goal, you, you forget an important part of the process. Anybody ever been, you know, in that place where you're, you're putting the, the kid's bike together or the grandkid's bike together and you get to the end and there's that extra bolt that's laying on the ground and you're like, huh, that's got to be an extra. I'm sure that doesn't actually need to be on the bike. They just gave me an extra bolt because, you know, they were thinking ahead that I might lose one. And the kid gets out there and boom, there goes the, no. Or maybe you're, you're cooking and you, you realize that you added an ingredient that should have been used later in the process and you're wondering why in the world it's not rising or doing what it's supposed to be doing. Or perhaps you put something that you shouldn't put in at all. I can remember when I was 12 years old, I think it was around 12, my mom and dad went on vacation and uh, put my oldest brother Pete in charge. I think he was 18 at the time, so that was a bad decision to start. But in his, you know, greatness, he thought, well, I'm going to cook mom's macaroni for everybody because that sounds like a great idea. And you have to understand, my mom, when she made homemade macaroni, she made it a certain way. We loved it. It may sound gross to you. That's fine. Your last name's not Clements. But my mom would make macaroni, and she would, she would do the noodles, and then she'd put the, the, the cheese in, and, and you know, then it would start to melt, and then she'd put paprika on top of it and put it in the oven. And it would crust. And so when we scooped it up, there was this kind of crispy part of the, the, the macaroni, and we loved it. And, you know, it was, a, it was a battle to see who could get the, 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 the crispy part, you know. Well, when my parents went away... My brother thought he would go ahead and make mom's macaroni, and so he started the whole process, and everything was going great. Gets the cheese in there, and then he reaches for the nutmeg and grabs and starts putting the nutmeg on the 
macaroni. And I'm looking at it going, I don't think that's what mom uses. And he's like, shut up. Just like any good brother would do. And uh, proceeded to bake the, the macaroni. And it came out smelling like a wonderful Christmas coffee drink of some sort. And uh, proceeded to put it on the table. And, of course, we took the first bite and went, yep, no, that's not it, no. And he's like, you're going to eat it. So we had to sit there anyways. But we've all been in that place where we've gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves, where something didn't work out quite the way we, we maybe planned. And we can get excited and anxious and frustrated or even kind of be in our own world as we wait for something important to happen in our lives. See, waiting for when can go beyond our someday dreams to the struggle of assuming we know how things should work out. Sometimes we struggle with the waiting and the someday, but sometimes we just look at life and we go, well, I know how this should work. This is, this is the things I want to see happen. God, let me let you in on my life plan and we can share it together. It'll be great. But when we, when we think about waiting for when, there's some things that we need to consider. The first is this. God's character and purposes for our lives are constantly being revealed. It's amazing to me. God, throughout history, has revealed Himself in amazing ways. His love, His devotion, His desire to, to forgive and redeem His creation. And you don't have to look far to see the love of God. To see the love of God in, a, in the relationship of a, a mother and a, and a baby. To see the, the, the creativity of God when you look out the window and see a beautiful day like today and you see God's masterpiece on full display. You don't have to look far to see God's plans and purposes and His love being revealed in your life and in mine. But all too often, we tend to go to church and we read Scripture creating a version of God and His purposes that we like and that we can comprehend and that kind of fit our paradigm. Because after all, God should be what we want Him to be, not just who He is. But we see in Scripture, that's a, that's a short-sighted way of, of seeing the power and the presence of God. Isaiah 55 Verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, we can try and conceive God. We can try and comprehend who He is and how much He loves us, but we'll never do it justice. Because we can't. God is infinite. He is eternal. He's almighty. He's all powerful. He's, he's present always. We can't conceptualize or conceive that level of greatness. It's just impossible for our minds to, to, to comprehend. And Jesus understood this. Jesus, when he came to earth, spent most of his time trying to help his disciples understand who he was and his ultimate purpose for being there. And ironically, the disciples didn't get it most of the time. He was constantly needing to correct them, helping them to set aside their assumptions of him and what he was doing 
because the disciples had a lot of really good ideas of what Jesus should be doing. Get these kids out of here. You know, go do this. You know, you need to. You know, you know, these people need to be fed. You know, send them away. Oh, why didn't you feed them? He was constantly in that place of correcting and helping his disciples to understand his plan and purpose. If you have your Bibles, if you want to open to Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13, that's where we're going to start our journey this morning. But there's an interesting series of interactions that take place in this passage. I think it's going to help us a bit. Verse, verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea of Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, or the rock. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he orders, ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is awesome, right? Jesus is standing there with his disciples. Who do, you, who do people say I am? And they rattle off all these things, and then he says, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter steps up to the plate, says, I'll take the Bible trivia question. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And what is Jesus' response? You are the rock, Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. It's got to be kind of a high point in Peter's life, right? The interesting thing is, as we go on in this series of interactions, I don't know how, how much time transpired between that particular interaction and what happens next. But things turn a little bit. Let's pick it up in verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What? I mean, can you imagine this scene? Jesus tells the disciples, I'm going to suffer for you. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die and be raised again. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. That's not happening. You're the Messiah, remember? You're the King of Kings. You're the Lord of Lords. That, no, that's not how this is going to go down. And what's Jesus' response? It's direct. It's devastating. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Ouch. 
I mean, can you imagine the emotional roller coaster Peter's on? It's like Peter went bold, from bold confession that Jesus is the Christ, you know, to being called an instrument of Satan. Oh, my word. You are Peter the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. And he's like, yes! <laughs> Who's the disciple of disciples now? Right? And then we don't know how, how much longer later, but get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block to me. And you can, you can just see the scene unfold on the movie screen of life. Wah, 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 right? Or I guess it's wah. See, Peter was constantly struggling with realities of, of Jesus' ministry on earth and what he was here to do as opposed to what they wanted him to do. The nation of Israel struggled with the same reality. And D.A. Carson in the Expositor's Bible Commentary summarizes this passage in Matthew by saying this, Peter's rebuke reveals how little he understands the kind of messiahship Jesus has in mind. Peter's strong will and warm heart liked, linked his ignorance, linked to his ignorance, produce a shocking bit of arrogance. He confesses that Jesus is the Messiah and then speaks in a way implying that he knows more of God's will than the Messiah himself. Thank you, Lord, we've never been in the place of Peter. Thinking that we know more about what we need in life than God does. But isn't it true that we find ourselves in that place? God, I need this. God, if you, could, if you could make this happen in my life, that'd be amazing. If you could move this mountain, if you could take care of this thing, then everything will be great. And our perceived view of happiness becomes invested in what we think God should be doing and what we think His plan and purpose should look like. See, all of us can recognize and, and, and even relate to the disciples' struggle to understand Jesus' mission and purpose because we do the same thing. We often assume things about God's purpose that, they, that he then has to correct. And then we wait and expect things that God never said to expect. God, I'll know you're good if you do this. God, I'll know that you are still moving in my life if you just open this door. If you just bring this person into my life. You just fix this situation. See, we have to stay in the mindset of allowing God's plan and purpose to be revealed in our lives because He doesn't give us the whole picture. He's constantly revealing His plan and purpose. And if we truly claim to be those who walk by faith in our journey with Jesus, then there's a level of faithfulness that has to come along with it. There's a level of saying yes to God's plan and purpose regardless of how it looks. See, God's character and purposes are, are constantly being revealed. But we can't forget that waiting on God's purpose is a growth process. 
I wish, wish, wish that I could just figure things out really quickly. That I wouldn't have to go through the whole get behind me Satan thing. It'd be great just to be called the rock and move on from there and be like, yeah, God, we're going to do this thing together. It's you and me. We're in it to win it. But no, there's a journey of doubt and there's a journey of, wait, God, that's not supposed to happen that way. And God says, no, no, no. Get back there because you don't get it yet. If we're completely honest, none of us really likes waiting. We don't like it. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But nobody likes waiting. We don't like waiting in lines. We don't like waiting in traffic. We don't, we don't like waiting on hold for customer service agents. If you'd like to talk to a customer service agent, say customer service or press zero. Customer service. If you'd like to talk to a customer service agent, please say customer service or press zero. But we don't like waiting because we have instant everything. I mean, think about it. We, we, we've got instant noodles. We've got instant coffee. We've got instant cameras. We've got instant replay. Everyone's favorite, we've got the instant pot cooker. But when it comes to God, waiting is just part of the deal. And we can... All of us most certainly use some increased levels of trust in God's perfect timing because we're just not very good at it. The disciples were not good at it. Martin H. Manser in his book, Waiting on God, says this, Waiting on God is a growth process. Being prepared to patiently look towards God for his guidance and accepting his, the timing he proposes Waiting on God can lead to an atmosphere of expectation and confidence in God and a realization of the unreliability of one's own judgment. Did you hear that? Our judgments, our hopes, our dreams, our desires, our pursuits, all the things that we prioritize in life are largely unreliable. I don't know about you, but I've seen it and I've experienced it. This is going to be great. I'm doing all these things. It's all lining up. It's going to be perfect. Boom, something happens. like, oh my gosh, it wasn't supposed to happen that way. But we prioritize things in a way that we think they should be done or they should happen. And all, all too often we're disappointed. Psalm 27, 4 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. This is the end, of, end of, of, a, of, a, of a psalm of David where David's struggling with the reality of, of what's going on in his life. The ups, the downs, the people that are oppressing him, the people who are chasing him, the people who are trying to destroy him, the stuff that he's done, the twists and turns he's taken in life. And he comes to the end of the psalm and he as a self-confession. And he declares something to himself. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. You think David, the man after God's own heart, the, the guy who shows up and slays the giant, the great king, 
You think that guy, if he needs to remind himself sometimes to wait on God, do you think maybe it would be wise for us to do the same thing? Occasionally? I'm getting frustrated. I'm, I'm struggling. I, I don't understand why things aren't going the way that I think they should. Dan, self, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait. That reminder sometimes is all it takes to get our perspectives off of what we think should be happening onto what God is doing. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, wait at his door with prayer. Wait at his foot with humility. Wait at his table with service. Wait at his window with expectancy. Do we wait with expectancy on what God is going to do? Do we wait with expectancy for God's plan and purpose and promises to be fulfilled? Or do we struggle and get impatient in the process? Because sometimes our impatience causes us to begin to go a direction that God never intended us to go. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. There's a growth process. We struggle with it. We come to that place where we're like, I exercised yesterday, why, haven't I not why, why have I not lost weight? I, I passed on the cake at the buffet, why is this not working? And we struggle to understand why things aren't working out the way that we think they should. But it says the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He's patient with you. Why? Because he doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody to be lost to an eternal hell. He wants everyone to come to the place of repentance. Those of us who are like, oh my gosh, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. God returns soon. We've all been there where it's just like, Jesus showed up today, I'd be good. And yet... God is not slow in keeping his promises because he wants everyone to come to repentance. He wants everyone to spend eternity with him. See, growing in our ability to trust God's perfect timing will increase our level of expectation when it comes to his promises. When we learn to wait, we'll become more expectant. We'll become more expectant of what God is doing in our lives. And we'll get excited about it when it does happen. And the glory will be His because we didn't take a, a side road and go off and pursue something ourselves and be like, look at what I did. Aren't I amazing? No, God will have fulfilled His promise in our lives. Because at the end of the day, God, in His wisdom and perfect timing, always brings about the best in our lives. Always. See, complete trust in God's wisdom and timing will create a level of surrender that results in a freedom from our own expectations. 
You ever been bound by your expectations? You ever been disappointed by your expectations? Yeah, we always get to that. We, we, we can all get to that place of saying, I expect it to happen this way, and if it doesn't, man, I'm going to be ticked off. This was like the, the yin and the yang for Gretchen and I when we first started dating. She had all these expectations and plans, and I had none, right? So she was always getting disappointed, and I was always just kind of like, hey, why don't you just go with the flow? We've, we've met in the middle. It's good. She's balanced me out. We, we're figuring it out. She's helping me. But the win of good things comes from him. And it's in his time. The win of the good things that, that are to happen in your life, the promises, they come from God. And they happen in his perfect timing. Without fail. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. See, it was not accidental when God sent his son to this earth. It wasn't some surprise to God when Jesus needed to come. And the things that happen in your life and in mine are not a surprise to him. Timothy George, in his commentary on Galatians and the New American Commentary, asks this question. What did Paul mean by the fullness of time? He says, early Christian apologists pointed to the fact that the birth of the Messiah occurred during the Pax Romana, a period of relative peace and stability in the region. Others have pointed to the development of a common language, favorable means of travel, the emergence of an urban civilization that made possible the rapid spread of the Christian message. The coming of Jesus Christ into human history was not an accidental happening in late antiquity, not only was the incarnation the fulfillment of myriads of Old Testament prophecies, but it was also the culmination of a plan devised within the eternal counsel of the triune God before the creation of the world. That plan was birthed before God even created, that he would redeem his creation, that he would be in perfect relationship with you and I. We can so often get focused on all the things we think need to happen for us to experience happiness. But there's a Puritan pastor and theologian named John Flavel helps us understand the importance of waiting for God's when in our life. He says, the delay of your mercies is really for your advantage. The foolish child would pluck the apple while it is still green, but when it is ripe, it drops of its own accord and is more pleasant and wholesome. You ever had a piece of fruit before it's ripe? Ugh. Right, I mean, every one of us was like that 10-year-old kid, and 
the bunch of bananas is sitting in the basket on the counter and they're still pretty green, but you're like, no, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to risk it. You yank one off and you open it up and you're like, no, it's not good. We've been in that place where we've struggled to wait. But I tell you what, thank God he doesn't give us what we want or what we think we need to be happy or fulfilled. Because most of the things that we think will make us happy or will help us feel fulfilled are temporary. Peter, the disciples, the rest of the world can be thankful that God operated and continues to operate according to His perfect will. Not yours, not mine. Because our will, our purposes, our desires are imperfect. They're flawed. It's interesting. I saw a quote the other day. It said, maybe the Rolling Stones song, You Can't Always Get What You Want, wasn't far off where the blessing of not receiving what you want is seen when instead you get what you need. See, God wants to give us the desires of our hearts. But he's also going to keep us from hardship. He's going to withhold things so that we don't experience destruction. So that we don't experience heartache. So that we don't experience the difficulty that comes with pursuing one's own desires. He has good things in store for you and for me. And we can all be thankful that God didn't give people the Messiah that they wanted, but instead the humble Christ that they needed. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Father, we are so thankful that you knew exactly what we needed, exactly when we needed it. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died. While we were still stuck in our mess, where we, when while we were still pursuing our own dreams and desires, you sent your Son, knowing how much you love us, that he would die and be resurrected so that we could have restored relationship as we come into a place of repentance, asking you to forgive us. Father, help us to keep our eyes fixed on your plan and purpose for our lives, that you would reveal it, Lord, each and every day a little bit more, that we wouldn't miss out on what you're doing. We're so grateful that we can place our trust fully in you, and you will never let us down. We worship you, Father God.